My hypothesis is that 90% of all payments are going to be run on-chain without people knowing that it's happening on-chain, without knowing that they're interacting with a blockchain, without knowing that they're interacting with crypto assets. And the corollary that I think of is how today, when you use the internet, you have no idea what HTTP is doing. Hello again and welcome. I'm Eric Jorgensen and I don't know much. I put my pants on one pair at a time like anybody else, but I have some very smart friends. And if you listen to this podcast, then no matter who, where, or when you are, you do too. This show explores technology, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you and the rest of humanity build a brighter, more abundant future. This podcast is one of a few of my projects to read my book, blog, newsletter, or invest alongside us in early stage tech companies. Please visit ejorgensen.com. Today, my guest is Grace Guo. She is the CEO and co-founder of Domo, which provides business banking for crypto teams. Previously, she was the COO and co-founder of a few projects in crypto, and before that, an analyst at Goldman Sachs. And in this episode, we talk about how businesses can operate on the blockchain now and in the future. I actually pulled in my friend and previous podcast guest, Mitchell Baldridge, to join the conversation. He's the perfect person for this. He's run an NFT project. He currently runs an accounting firm. And we explore all kinds of stuff. We talk about the blockchain space over the long run. We talk about businesses and interactions and the financial regulations that sort of govern the adoption of these things. And it's a very interesting kind of broad look if you're operating a business, if you operate in crypto, especially if you're in the finance sector, you work in accounting, I, I think there'll be something interesting in here for you in thinking about how this industry is going to evolve and the capabilities that are going to happen and the tools that are getting built to help your job become easier. Before we get to our conversation, I want to highlight a sponsor we mentioned in our conversation, and that's Athena. Athena makes this possible. They hire, train, and match you with a full-time executive assistant who's based in the Philippines. Then they provide guidance and accountability to be sure that you and your EA have a successful relationship together. I love how the team at Athena obsesses over how to best create leverage for their clients. And they have a bunch of different pieces of their secret sauce. One is an incredibly high bar for hiring. They get thousands of applications every week for just a handful of spots, and they know how to pick great people. And then they nurture, train the EAs in the tools and the processes and the playbooks, and they train you how to work with an EA well. You know I love a good form of leverage. This is one that I personally use, enjoy, and stand behind. Getting a full-time dedicated help was easier than I ever thought it could be with Athena. So open your browser, type in athenago.com and sign up. There is often a wait list to get matched with EAs. So plan ahead and sign up now today. There's no commitment required when you do that. And you'll learn something just by going through the quick application. And if you just want to learn more about how to use an EA, some of the playbooks that I mentioned, the experts use, and how to start investing in the corporation of you, check out my episode with Athena's CEO and COO. It is episode number 38. It's overflowing with valuable ideas. It's always been one of our most popular episodes and people love it. It's a very unique set of insights about the world. Once more, athenago.com. And please be sure to list me, Eric Jorgensen, as your refer. 
The second sponsor today is GiveWell. It is tax deductible donation season. And when you give to charity, you really wanna know that your donation will have a huge impact. Assessing and understanding how charities use money and how efficient they are is a huge problem. And it requires a lot of effort to understand. GiveWell helps you figure out which are the best charities, the high impact evidence-backed charities that you can support with your donation. They spend 30,000 hours each year researching these, finding the evidence, finding the high impact charities. It's an incredibly well-intentioned organization and six figures of donors use GiveWell to donate money. They've channeled over a billion dollars and the impact that they have with that is huge. You know, they've saved hundreds of thousands of lives. They've improved millions more and using GiveWell is free. They just want to help donors make high impact donations. They publish all their research for free. There's no sign up required. They don't take a cut and you still get to choose your charity. They just help you find something that is high impact and matches with the values that you uphold. If you have never donated through them before, they will match your donation up to $100 as long as their matching funds last. Go to givewell.org and pick podcast and enter my podcast, Jorgensen Soundbox at checkout. Make sure they know that you heard about it from us to get your donation matched and my ad attributed. I appreciate you considering the sponsors who make this show possible. And I'm careful to only select sponsors that I think are high value to you and your life. Now, with both ears and everything in between, Please enjoy this conversation arriving in three, two, one. All right. Welcome, Grace, to the podcast. Welcome back, Mitchell. I, I had to bring Mitchell to this since he's, he's the friend with crypto and accounting experience. And I got like a C barely in accounting. So if we have any hope of understanding this company and everything that Grace is going to teach us, I'm going to need your help. I'm here to, here to help the best I can. Thank you. And Grace, we have chatted a few times. I met you through the Athena network, so we can like sort of get into that if we want, but we we clearly have a shared passion for leverage and delegation and excitement. And I know there's like the first hire of your startup was Athena, but this is not about that. This is about you. Like my favorite opening question is is who are your heroes? This is a good question. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this one because I was like there's honestly so many people that I admire and there's in all different facets of life. I think if I were to narrow it down to, let's say like three people that I really, really look up to, one is my friend, Kathy. She actually was the one of the co-founders of the first crypto startup that I ever worked at a couple of years ago. And I kind of took this leap of faith to join her that? on this crazy adventure. And it was called Dunya Labs, and we were building tooling and infrastructure for EOS, if you guys remember that one. And it was really interesting because it was a super early industry. We were all really young. This was our first startup. And we did have an actual product, and we did have actual customers and actual revenue, but we just mistimed the market way too early and maybe in hindsight bet on the wrong chain. <laughs> so I went on this crazy adventure with her where we were building this building the company actually in Bangalore. And basically, I can think of my life as before that and after that. So that's one. I don't know if you guys are familiar with John Green or Hank Green. I'm obsessed with them as well. They do a lot of great content on YouTube. They have this thing called Crash Course History, Crash Course Philosophy, Crash Course Chemistry, tons of really, really fun videos to binge watch there and also incredible writers. And then lastly, Emma Watson. So those are my three heroes. Oh, I love Emma Watson. <laughs> 
I like almost almost went to Brown when when and like found out later that that's when Emma Watson would have been there. And now I'm like, fuck, I should have oh gone to God. Brown. I could have been best friends <laughs> with Emma Watson. My whole life would be different. Yeah, she's she's awesome. Mitchell, have you have you answered that question? Also, I think it's so funny. It's like it's such a massive conscientiousness test. Most people don't bother asking for questions before they come on a podcast. And Grace was like, can you please send me the questions like two weeks ahead of time? I would like to <laughs> contemplate and get organized and do two prep calls. And I was like, sure, whatever you want. Most people are just like, I'll just show up and whatever happens, happens. So very conscientious. <laughs> that's, trait. that's where yeah. I would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you have been multiple times. I can call you in the morning and be like, Mitchell, 20 minutes podcast. Let's go. And you're like, oh, let's oh, go. OK. <laughs> It, it's a remarkably uh, high high variance, but you know it can be great. It can it can yeah. crash and burn. You know, yeah, yeah, two sides of different coins. So where where Grace did you first sort of see the need for Domo? Where did you encounter sort of the, the problem that led to starting this company? Yeah, so my background is actually in finance and accounting. That's what I studied in school. In my career, I've been fortunate to be able to find different opportunities to manage different areas of a business, which is, I think, what led me to being pulled into joining a crypto venture studio in 2021. You know, they kind of brought me on board as the founding COO, and it was right at the beginning of the company. So I was being pulled in to set up the entities and help set up all of the financial infrastructure and the operation stack for the venture studio, as well as for some of the portfolio companies that we were already working with at this time. And so it was kind of like everything that was business quote unquote, was on my shoulders, legal, accounting, finance, operations, compliance, taxes, you know, all those things. And I was really just living it day in and day out. This was 99% of what I did. And what I found was that, you know, for each of the companies that I was working with, they had a foot in the fiat world or the cash world. And they also had a foot in the crypto world in terms of how they were even running the companies. So, it was pretty standard to set up the fiat stack. You know, you get a bank account and then you get JustWorks or Gusto and you get Expensify and it's all pretty straightforward. You know, you get QuickBooks. On the crypto side, things were the complete opposite. It was not straightforward at all. And it was very difficult to find out what solutions people could even use to do that. And so I struggled with kind of just using the very rudimentary tools that were available at the time. Google spreadsheets and just kind of basic wallets. And I started asking around other people in the space who are also crypto operators, just wondering, you know, was I missing something? You know, I'm new to this. Maybe I'm still getting up to speed. I'm just learning the ropes. And through those conversations that I had, I realized that everyone was doing the same thing that I was doing, which was basically building the same Google sheet in different ways and using the same rudimentary tools. So I started to kind of realize through that, that if we wanted serious businesses to be built and we wanted serious companies to be built, we needed serious professional tools to be able to support that. Yeah, it's such an interesting, like the, the co-evolution of, of tools and industry, I think is really interesting and we'll see it in crypto. It, like, it'll be interesting to see how much has to get rebuilt in crypto. And I think the interesting thing, and Grace and I had the chance to catch up a couple of days ago in, in Jam, and I was like, let's just, we got to save it for the pod. We can't, <laughs> we, we got we got too far along too quickly. But yeah, it, I ran into the exact same problem in working with a, a big NFT project on Solana as a, that 
you know, these five guys that started up this NFT project and they were making great revenue and, and they had all the, the kind of pieces of a real business and really had no accounting stack because they just didn't know how to do it. And, and like grace, I, I was just about to go do the same thing, go, Hey, let's get someone to code some kind of script that will rip all the transactions into a Google sheet and, you know, foreign exchange them to USD. And it, it, like w- the fact that everyone has to start from pr- like level zero principles of I'm going to reinvent an accounting system is a lot of, <laughs> it rhymes a lot with a lot of the kind of like web 1.0 problems or like the, the, you know, Jeff Bezos, like, does this make your beer taste better? No, we're reinventing accounting when we should be making a real product, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think like the other, you know, difficult part about this is that in the early days of this industry, a lot of the founders and entrepreneurs that are working in the space don't necessarily come from a formal operating background. And so, you know, maybe they are a little bit familiar with accounting, maybe a little bit familiar with finances, but something that we found very often when we were speaking to these teams is that there was always, they were trying to track the information, but they weren't always sure what information exactly they needed to track. And so inevitably at the end of the year, or when they did start to work with accountants, they had to go all the way back to the beginning and figure out, wait, okay, totally missed this column. Where are the Block Explorer links for this? What was the US dollar value of this token at that time of the transaction? And there's all these different pieces that I think if you don't come from that type of background, you just don't know to think about and it ends up really coming back to bite you later on. You're like, I was supposed to withhold taxes? Really? That whole time? <laughs> But I have but no all money the crypto now. money's gone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm poor. Oh. Yeah. Let me see if I can summarize Domo sufficiently for you. So I'm looking at the homepage now, and it's basically it's business banking, financial operations, payroll, expenses, like all of the functions that you need on sort of the operations side of a business with a blockchain background, like assuming that a wallet is your bank account instead of a fiat bank account, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So if we're if we're doing an analogy between like fiat stack, crypto stack, instead of a bank account, you have a wallet. Instead of Gusto and QuickBooks, you have Domo. I would say it's probably the more akin to the kind of first example that you gave where, you know, What we're, I think, enabling people to do is to have as many, quote, bank accounts as they want in the form of self-custody wallets. So a lot of the teams that we've spoken to, they often have on average about five wallets. And these wallets can be on multiple chains. And these wallets could be in different formats. And what we're providing through Domo is this kind of interface that allows you to feel as if you are interacting with a bank account and it feels like it's a banking experience, but you can actually take all of your different quote bank accounts, which in this case are actually wallets and connect them. And that is now your banking interface. Okay. You still, you still sort of like have a, the, a normal ish interface for understanding it the same way you would understand a business's, you know, financials and inflows and outgoes. And then you can, you're set up well for taxes and financial statements and stuff. Right, right. Exactly. Because you are basically very 
confident that we're pulling in all of the asset information about your crypto, all of the transactional information about your crypto. And this interface that we've built out makes it so that it's very easy for you to go in and contextualize those transactions. Some of the questions that we hear very often are like, hey, this thing from six months ago, I have no idea why I did this. I don't remember what it was for. I don't remember who it was to. Now what do we do? And so it's kind of a way to encourage people to make sure that they are keeping accurate and complete records of what they're doing along the way and not making it feel like homework, not making it feel like a chore. So I think that's really like the the biggest benefit for both business teams as well as accountants who maybe eventually are looking at this information because it's like, oh, it's already all there. I don't need to ask a bazillion questions. And now that I have this very clean data set that I'm able to extract out of Domo, I can then take this and maybe plug it into QuickBooks, plug it into my accounting software, which is purpose-built for accounting, to then do the additional transformations that I need. You know, if we kind of go back to that business banking experience analogy, you know, like you mentioned, what some of the other things that we help our teams do is make payments on chain, very similar to how in a bank account, you'd be able to send an ACH or send a wire in a way that feels very easy because you're using, you know, the banking interface. It's very similar for us. You know, you've connected your wallets and we give you a safe way to kind of interact with crypto payments. So, you know, there's kind of error checks that make sure that you're filling in the address properly and it's on the correct chain and you're not missing any letters, it's this and that, and a few other different kind of guardrails, let's say. But we do also offer kind of the ability for people to, you know, make payments in crypto more confidently. Oh, I I, I logged in and was was playing around with the product. And one cool thing was like, you could add your Mercury account on that they've integrated very well with Mercury. And so like, this would be almost, hey, I'm running this company and I have this Mercury account that's like one of my chains, but it's it's almost secondary too. I operate day-to-day in crypto and I have this kind of savings account off to the side that's in fiat. But then like, to, you know, Grace, you said at the beginning, like, oh, well, we know how to do this. We have just or Gusto and we have, Mercury and we have Expensify and we have like Mercury doesn't really do everything. You know, they they have crypto company or they have companies out there who are the just works for crypto that you can then start to like build together with, right? Or how are you thinking about that? Yeah, no, for sure. I think this is an area where the problem space is so huge and there are many different areas where if you focus on just that subset of the problem, that's either like an industry or an entire business in and of itself with its own level of complexity. So I think for us, the way that we're kind of thinking about it is, you know, we are really excited to focus on the collaborative aspects of being the business interface for people to kind of interact with their transactions. And there where, you know, there are opportunities to partner with people who are specialized in certain areas, like for example, QuickBooks is specialized accounting software. You know, we think that that makes a lot of sense and, you know, allows people to be a little bit more perhaps defined about what tool is used for what thing. You know, there's a lot of opportunities to play around with integrations as we kind of figure out how this industry evolves. Yeah. The, the thing you said about sending payments is, is interesting. I was in a DAO. I guess I still am. I don't really know how you leave a DAO. I'm still in the Discord, so I guess I'm still in the DAO. 
got the index cube that was like paying people just like dozens of people every week for a, a based on a ton of different variables. And there, I mean, there's like spreadsheets and spreadsheets and copy pasting of addresses constantly. So I think there's like a huge like for crypto f- to fulfill some of the visions that people have around streaming payments or highly like sort of variable ways, like consistent compensation and incentive alignment, like the sending of payments is huge and critical. And to your point, like you want, you need to account for all of that. You need to organize it. You need to know who it's going to and why, so that when you show up at Mitchell's doorstep with all your like block explorers and accounting statements that at the end of the year, that look like Swiss cheese, he doesn't kill you and send you to a different CPA. <laughs> or if you get audited, you don't like it go into a, audited into oblivion. Yeah, that's yeah, that though I know those can be nightmares as well. I feel like we've only begun to hear the nightmares in that story of that type. <laughs> yeah, there is so much again, just going back to you know the accountant at the end of the year who's doing your taxes just is like, "Okay, give me your books and let's get your tax return done." And and then crypto going back to like before first principles just like zero with principles it, you know you have this person who goes i know at the beginning of the year i had fifty thousand dollars i know today i have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and i have no idea how i got there <laughs> and, or you know what i mean between wormholes and bridges and chains and blah 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 and to institutionalize this experience is is going to be a, a massive opportunity and a huge jump. It, it, talking to people who are real accountants and kind of real institutional crypto, you know, they have 250 wallets and they have to keep everything straight and they need better tools than the tools on the market today. So... Yeah, Grace, who do you, who's kind of the first customer for this? Is this like, is this DAOs? Is this individual businesses that are sort of run by people that are like in the crypto space? Like what's, what are you seeing so far? Yeah, I would say, you know, when we first started speaking to teams, this message resonated a lot with two main types of user personas, let's say. Number one is the co-founder or the founder of a project where, again, they maybe don't come from a formal operations background, but they are trying to run a business. They are trying to run their startup in a way where they can kind of report back to investors and say, yeah, you know, we're, we've got everything under control. We're managing our burn well. You know, here's maybe some high level financials. So that's one persona, the kind of co-founder or founder of a project. Maybe if their project is slightly larger, they have a dedicated operations manager or head of operations. And then on the other side, you know, definitely accountants. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So when you say a project, what like, is that kind of like what Mitchell described as like an NFT project or a DAO or like some crypto tool that where people are earning in crypto? Like what's, what falls under the umbrella of projects? Yeah. So for us, I would say it's a team or a group of people that is seeking to build it or run a business in some way on crypto using digital assets. So yes, this could be a DAO. Yes, this could be a VC funded crypto startup. Yes, this could be an NFT project. I think it's really any group of people that happens to run all or some of their operations on chain. In terms of who we're kind of focusing on as a target customer at this time, I think it's really more narrowed down to, you know, kind of project founders and, you know, operations leads as well as accountants. 
Okay. Yeah. I imagine you get calls from accountants who <laughs> like, oh, I can't imagine how many accountants this year just got like a call from somebody who started something new and is like, good news, bad news. <laughs> I made some money. <laughs> it's in a wallet. That's all the information I have. Can you please account for me? And then, like, I don't even know. Mitchell, where do you even start with with that? Well, yeah, you start by going like, hey, let's get a Google sheet. <laughs> let's list every public wallet you've ever had in, in the history of your whole life that you can remember. And then to your point, Grace, you're you're filling in gaps. You're like, where did fifty thousand dollars go? And they're like, oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there are consumer tools out there that we've used, Coinly and Zen Ledger and Token Tax, that that kind of are designed to aggregate all of these transactions into one, so that hopefully you can do your taxes. Like that, that's one problem that, frankly, a lot more people have than than Grace's problem, but. The, the Grace's problem is a growing problem of, yeah, we are a crypto first business that has a crypto element to our financial operations. And we have no treasury manager or our treasury management is some script that some dude on Upwork wrote that dumps into a Google Doc that breaks every few days. And, and that's supported by a bunch of VLOOKUPs. And like, that's a, <laughs> that's, one way to run a business, but yeah, there there are enough businesses out there now. And like Grace and I were talking, like tools are now easy enough to make that somebody gets to come in and make a tool that that solves what's today a pretty niche problem, but is a growing problem. Yeah, I, and and gonna like continue to continue to grow, not just the scale of the number of businesses that are already sort of like in the crypto space, right? Because they're selling something inherently crypto, but the number of businesses that I think like, I'm really curious to hear probably both of your takes about when we'll see, when the tools basically get easy enough that we'll see like quote unquote normal fiat businesses adopt a crypto path because it's easy enough and people want to pay their plumber through their wallet in ETH or stables or something like that rather than like is is that the future that you envision with domo grace is sort of like enabling that to be another channel yeah 100 percent. and i would say that that future is already here and we see this already happening with quote you know normal businesses so you know if you think about security auditing firms they are working in the crypto industry, but the service that they're providing is really around code audits and going in and looking at code. And so they're not necessarily creating a crypto token themselves, right? Unless they decide to take that on as a separate project, but they are providing services and they are being paid in crypto, in tokens, in stable coins. And their whole business is you know, taking money in in this way. And there's also some law firms out there now that accept crypto or stablecoin as a form of payment. And so I think what's really fascinating to me about this is that you are already seeing traditional, quote, businesses today interacting with 
crypto in a very meaningful way because they're essentially earning their livelihood in crypto, in this new technology. And there have been a few other businesses that we've spoken to that might have international presence, whether their vendors are in a different country or their customers are, a different, are in a different country. And they've kind of recognized the value of being able to very easily send and receive value via crypto compared to the systems that they have to deal with today, where it could take up anecdotally, you know, up to 17 days for a company to get money from France to the US. And that's wild for a business that's really trying to manage their cash flow. (laughs) Just get on the plane with a bag of cash. That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I do think we're already starting to see these businesses do these things today. And I do think this trend is going to continue where, you know, as more and more people, as more and more businesses interact with crypto and we, I think there's a little bit of maybe on both sides, a bit of education and also, you know, improving the user experience and the onboarding experience. But at some point there's going to be kind of this, this wave that can't really be stopped because there's this natural gravity that people have towards solutions that are more convenient and that do the thing that they're trying to do more conveniently. And I think crypto and kind of blockchain or just, you know, digital assets, we could call them, present a solution that make it a lot more convenient for people to handle payments. I think two real world examples we've seen just play out over the past 15 years are Venmo that turned into Cash App, that turned into Zelle of making peer-to-peer payments really, really easy. And then spurring like these cottage industries of like Facebook marketplace and moms and boyfriends and girlfriends and all these people just sending money all over to themselves, like go into your Venmo feed and just watch what's happening in the world. And and then the other big one, which I, I've talked about before, I think like Apple Pay for crypto is going to be humongous of I can tap the side of my phone twice and pay at a register with crypto like that unlocks the universe of crypto. And that's like, it's to Grace's point, it's not a technical challenge today. It's a technical challenge that has been overcome. It's, I think, a regulatory issue of how are you going to, how is the government going to tag and manage all, because you can send money to France or anywhere in the world very, very quickly via crypto today. The question of whether you can send it legally quickly is is another question. Like, are you compliant by taking that action? And the bank's not there to save you. And nobody's there to check, to, to Grace's point. And, and tools like that will start to be built on top of platforms like Domo of just like, hey, <laughs> what do you think? Where's this going? Yeah. Yeah, the the regulatory compliance is huge. The, the the utility, like being able to see and understand, which is like exactly do, the problem that Domo's addressing for the business side, making it accessible. I, I talked to Zach. I did a whole episode with Zach Pettit on this, sort of recapping the the biggest fintech conference in the world, and it's just insane how complicated fintech is. Like the layers of dependencies and things that all need to like feed into each other are so so wild, and I think in part because of the regulation, in part because the banks already sort of own that relationship. Like one vision of the future is like, yeah, we all have crypto wallets, but it's basically inside our bank's app that we already have. And I I mean, I think that's a vision that like sort of Domo fits into incredibly well and enables. It's like, just help me wrap my head around 
what is an increasingly complex array of transaction types and frequencies and to help me understand the underlying like thing that's happening and help my accountant interact with it and help the government interact with it and like whoever else needs to understand it. I don't know. It's like a, like a, like a block explorer for your, like for your individual little world set of worlds that your accountant can also use. Yeah. Like Domo can create an invoicing module that you can send somebody an invoice and they can choose to pay either through fiat or through your ether soul wallet or, or whatever. And then that can be sorted out in, in Domo or yeah, Stripe's going to just go start to let you add a, a ETH wallet inside of Stripe or, you know, JP Morgan or Mercury is going to allow you to do that. It, it, they're both going to happen at the same time. Yeah. Is, is that one of the biggest features, Grace, the invoicing? That's something that I would say we're kind of experimenting with still right now. I think invoicing generally is a pretty critical and vital part of a business's activities. So we do have some kind of prototypes built out for that. And we have some teams in our private alpha that are currently using that and giving us feedback. So yeah, you know, I think for us, we're really focused on creating a really, really great user experience for all of the things that might be constituted as like basic business activities. So invoicing definitely plays a part in that. Uh, how how will you talk about the sort of the like starting conditions of the company? Like where'd you meet your co-founders? Like how'd you raise initial capital? You you came out of a venture studio. Did that did that make that whole process easier? Yeah. So we have a I think an interesting story because Saul, who is my co-founder, he's also my chief product officer and general counsel. He and I met before the venture studio. So we met at a company that he co-founded previously, and that company is called Concertive. So that company is a, bus a business that is built on managing spend and large corporate contracts for like boutique investment banks and private equity firms and law firms. So you can think like, you know, giant corporate travel contracts or market data contracts, insurance policies that you're placing every year. And our customer point of contacts you know, in this business were the CFOs, the COOs, the GCs, the ops managers of each of those professional services firms. So it was kind of a place where it was, we were able to get really familiar with the guts of a company and were able to see all of the different things that go on behind the scenes of these various businesses. And so at that company, he was co-founder, CTO, and general counsel. And I joined as an employee, maybe like number 15 or so, first in business development before becoming the company's first product manager. And so, you know, we were able to overlap and work together quite a bit while I was there. Small company, CTO, product manager, you know, there's a lot that we do together there. And so we had a really great time working together there. I think we, you know, really started to understand each other's working styles, you know, just had a lot of fun brainstorming. And, you know, I kind of realized that he was someone that I really wanted to stay in touch with. I, I don't, I don't know if you guys know anyone, but I've never met anyone who's an entrepreneur and a, a developer and a lawyer. So I was like, this guy, this guy is crazy in the best way possible. So I was like, yeah, I got to stay in touch with this guy. And, you know, Saul exited, you know, after a short time of us being together at this company. And then I ended up leaving Concertive a little while later in 2021 to join that venture studio. So Saul and I reconnected and we were like, hey, like what's going on? Let's catch up. And at that time, I learned that Saul had developed another really rare skill set, which was being a crypto degen. And he had gone like really deep into the crypto rabbit hole, just like he was contributing to Yearn. He was involved in LexDAO. He was yield farming. He was staking. And I was like, whoa, like, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Super cool. So I decided to introduce him to the co-founders of the Venture Studio because we were building in crypto and DeFi. And 
Saul kind of started exploring ideas there as, you know, an entrepreneur in residence or an EIR. And I was super happy because, you know, I was still full time with the Venture Studio, but we just had an opportunity to like, you know, jam again and like brainstorm. And so we would each kind of share what we were seeing day to day. Saul would pick my brain on, you know, what I was experiencing in my role. And, you know, we realized that I was dealing with a lot of problems while trying to run all these crypto companies and that other people felt similarly. So, you know, basically after that, we were like, you know what, it feels really good to work together again. And in 2022, we decided that we were going to go all in on this. So Saul and I became co-founders and I transitioned out of the venture studio and they invested in us kind of a first check as an incubator slash YC style. Very cool. Did you try to raise capital beyond that or did you not need to for sort of getting started? Yeah, I think we had considered the idea of raising a couple of times last year just because it especially in the first half of the year, I think the market environment was, you know, was good. And there were a lot of teams that are going out there and pitching ideas. And so, you know, we kind of considered going out there and doing the same thing. I think for us, one, the market changed very quickly. And then number two, I think we were still very early on in our interpretation of how we were going to tackle the problem, in addition to kind of seeing how many other teams in the space were kind of coming in to tackle the problem. So, you know, one of the big trends last year, which actually had a revival in the fall, was around this concept of DAO tooling. And so, you know, there was kind of this, um, we were kind of trying to figure out how to tell the story around, no, we're, we're not DAO tooling, but we know you're really excited about DAO tooling. And, you know, I think after a while we were like, you know, let's just focus on, you know, building the story that we're really compelled by. And then, you know, we can tell that story to people and see who it resonates with. This seems like a, a superset of DAO tooling, like it, it, the best business for managing a bunch of wallets for a group of people may just be the tool that all the DAOs adopt. You, you, like they don't have to have like, you know, you don't have to solve every one of DAOs problems all in one product. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think the way that we've always viewed this is that, you know, DAOs are like DAOs can use our product and DAOs would benefit from using a product like what we're building. But I think for us, the thing, you know, we decided not to necessarily focus on DAOs as our primary audience or our primary target customer, because we were still a little bit uncertain as to the stability of the DAO ecosystem. And I think we wanted to see how DAOs as organizations were going to evolve a bit more before we decided to, you know, just say, this is our target <laughs> audience, if that makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and that was, a, that was a bet that paid off for sure. I mean, you take a company out there, like into it's a hundred billion dollar company, you know, and, and like it touches a lot of different things and it has a lot of verticals, but then you, you take crypto, which is just very literally on chain. And, you know, they talk about money Legos and all, all of these principles. And it's like, it, it's just such an exciting opportunity that you can kind of build horizontally or vertically kind of any direction. And I just think y'all are smart to start at the center of just going, Hey, here's, here's the most like basic problem. You have all this money. You're trying to operate a business. How can you, how can you do anything again to the, the points we were talking about earlier? If you don't know how much money you have, <laughs> like, how are you going to manage a real business with with fake tools or, you know, or with no tools. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think like, you know, the, there's so much power in a business being able to 
ask themselves, hey, how much did we spend on payroll last month? And then being able to answer that question in the next five seconds and just really being able to equip themselves with all this information so that they can make the best business decisions so that they do have a good sense of what their financial health looks like. I think there's so many aspects of being able to build a very strong and sustainable company that stem from having a really clean record of all this activity. So yeah, no, I think, you know, we're really excited about this. And I think the general group of people that we're impacting by building something like this, you know, they're very, very talented entrepreneurs. There are people who really do want to build something impactful and, you know, build something that is cutting edge. And the more that we can do to just say, hey, you focus on that and we'll make sure everything else is in order. I think, you know, that's our way, I, I suppose, of contributing to those to those innovations. But I mean, yeah, you know, even for, you know, you, Eric and you, Mitchell, like, what would you say is the most common behaviors that you notice when people are trying to keep track of things or are they even keeping track of things? Is it Google Sheets? Like, what have you seen as well when you've talked to people about this? Eric, what what is your kind of like process for having your own, uh, like you were, you made a lot of money and then lost a lot of money in crypto, like a lot of us. What, how are look, you? Look, it's it's not loss until you sell. All right. It's just a, just a down. It's, we got a long-term view. We're holding. Not everybody sold at the tippy top like a fucking genius, Mitchell. So stop rubbing it in. I, I, <laughs> So I sold a little bit. I held a lot. So <laughs> I know, but how do you think in terms, like, how do you organize this all in your head and in your world? I, so to, to like, when you and I were kind of prepping for this, we kind of talked through like long-term and first principles, which is kind of what I want to spend the rest of the, the sort of the conversation on. Like, I, I really want to think in decades here. And I think like, what struck me about Domo when I first looked at it and, and Grace when we first talked is like the decades outlook, right? So to me, like, I don't, I don't give a shit about the, you know, 18 month cycle of, of like prices up, prices down. Like to me, it's sufficiently clear that a blockchain is a better database technology and like a better backbone for running a business. And it's, going to take more than a few years for that to fully switch over. And we're going to take a ton of tools and sort of intermediate steps in the meantime to get there. But like thinking about what becomes possible when that, as that switch happens and as it becomes a meaningful percentage of business operations for, you know, not just crypto native companies and customers, but plumbing companies and florists and, you know, quote unquote, normal companies. So I think that's like, that's what's exciting to me and positioning like Domo being positioned to be like, as you said, Mitchell, the Intuit of the future or the, the, the one that I had in mind was like the ADP of the future. Like both of those are hundred billion dollar companies that most people either don't know exists or barely think about because they perform these like such critical functions that if you're not running a business or even a big enough business to really have problems with it because you can't just use cash accounting, then you really like, it's easy to overlook the value of the problem that gets solved and the value of the companies that get built here. And, and I think, you know, it, this is a big enough, you know, backbone transplant that we're, we may have new winners. Like there will be a new ADP. There may be a new Intuit. And like, I'm excited to see companies like Domo sort of as they get born that can grow into that over the next couple decades. Like that's a really fun sort of thing to watch and a game to play. 
Yeah, and even to the idea of ADP being huge, Mercury Bank being huge, Intuit being huge, Zero as a competitor. Like there are all these kind of stripe. There are a lot of public and private kind of finance tools that have not kind of flipped to crypto or really focused 1% of their energy on crypto. And I, I mean, an analogy would be like, oh, there's all these big tobacco companies and they're like legalizing marijuana on the side. And and the whole like system that's being grown from these, you know, we know on Twitter, Colin, you know, it, it, these people who are making these entire companies, I mean, they have to use weird banking and they have to kind of develop all these tools to to be able to work. And they're all waiting for this day that their whole business becomes sort of effectively institutionalized and adopted because all of these big companies will just go acquire the smallest companies that are market leaders or, or they will they will acquire, I'm sorry, not the smallest companies, but the market leaders in crypto that are, you know, solving the problems already that they want to solve. <laughs> it's also just weird to see, like, yeah. we, we live in this world of no code and we li- like there's this bank out there column that one of the Stripe founders went out and has started their own bank that's just like API bank. So really, crypto is pretty well all on API. And then now we have banks on API and we Augusto's rolled out an entire API. Like when when again back to my kind of thesis of like regulatory is probably the hurdle. Cause once this hits this like kind of point of no return, or when people really find a use for this transfer of money beyond just oh, number go up and we're gonna get really rich, like these systems are all going to be able to converge pretty well. And it's going to happen by the big boys, and then it's going to happen by small companies who are who are leading the way in crypto. So, it watching it all come together. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we're one more cycle away, or like, uh, w- yeah, what does it take for? And again, uh, like to Grace's point, like companies are already <laughs> so companies are already working inside of crypto. Like there are a bunch of people who are like. This is our main modus operandi today, but what's it going to take for lots of companies to work in crypto out there? Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think it's going to be a really exciting like next five to 10 years. And I think for me, right, if I think about, you know, one of the questions that you had, Eric, was, you know, what does the world look like 50 years into the future? I won't claim to know what that will look like or what that's going to be like, but... (laughs) So if you came to the podcast for that, sorry to disappoint. (laughs) That's why I show up. I'm hoping somebody will tell me. (laughs) Yeah. You had promised me, Eric, that I was going to find out the answer. (laughs) We weren't even going to release this one. That was just the clickbait title. That's that's we got you. Yeah, uh, we're we're, four, we're forty minutes in. You're not you're you're gonna finish the podcast now. You're not gonna. Okay, you're not gonna we were quit. we were gonna hang on to that alpha, but that's <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Fifty yeah, years, Grace. Please. No, all good. Fifty years in the future. I mean, you know, I think my hypothesis is that ninety percent of all payments are going to be run on chain without 
people knowing that it's happening on chain without knowing that they're interacting with a blockchain, without knowing that they're interacting with crypto assets. And the corollary that I think of is how today when you use the internet, you have no idea what HTTP is doing. I, for the longest, you know, I was never even taught about HTTP in school. Like, I don't even really fully understand exactly what's going on, but I'm able to open my browser. I'm able to go to google.com. I'm able to come do this podcast with you guys. And I don't really need to understand the protocol itself. And I think the reason that I'm like, okay, yeah, 90% is because I don't think that it's going to require that much behavior change from where we're at today to, you know, that vision for 50 years in the future, because, you know, Mitchell, like you were saying earlier, you know, we're accustomed to interacting with Venmo and Stripe and Zelle and all of these online banking interfaces. What we see on our screen, that's what we think of as money now, right? Like when I look at my Venmo account or I look at my bank account, this screen is telling me that I have, you know, $100 in my account or $1,000 in my account. I don't see the money. I don't, interact with the money other than just through these numbers on a screen. So this is already digital money that we're using day in and day out. And there are tons of economies, well, maybe not tons of economies, but there are very large economies that are almost entirely cashless. If we think about China and how people in China pay for things, it's almost entirely via WeChat Pay and or Alipay. And, you know, this goes back to, I think, the example that you gave, Mitchell, where it's like, yeah, people use tap to pay, Apple Pay for everything. And so the human behavior, which is usually the hardest thing to change, is already in a place today where, you know, being able to adopt a maybe slightly different form of digital money or digital assets, I think it's well positioned to do that. And again, you know, the main driver of all of this, in my opinion, is that humans love convenience and more convenient solutions. And once we get used to the experience that this technology brings, it's going to be very hard to go back, right? Like once I get used to being able to send $100 from my place in New York to Saul in Japan, and for it to settle instantly and for him to be able to access it instantly, it's going to be very difficult for me to want to go back and experience anything less than that. It's interesting. There's, you brought up a few things there. I think one, one of the interesting things is like, we don't all have to decide to use wallets to for that future to be true, right? For most of these transactions to move on to the blockchain. Like imagine, you know, Visa, MasterCard, like just decided to switch their backbone, like centralized, quiet decision makers can make changes without us even knowing to move us towards a blockchain future. And we could still use credit cards and bank accounts and it can all still settle. Bank accounts, maybe less so. But the other is is like the sort of what changes when the blockchain is the backbone of everything. I think that's really interesting. So the, the early use cases is a cool thing to focus on for for what what changes with smart contracts. Like I think Balaji said, like the metabolism of business changes when everything settles instantly, right? All of the money that's locked up in ACH transfers or two-week international transfers or like all of that garbage is just gone. I think Fraud prevention is a huge thing that banks spend a ton of money on. It slows everything down. So like the automation of payments, streaming payments, auditing, like hopefully it eventually makes accounting meaningfully easier thanks to things like Domo and, you know, just the reliability of the data. And if accounting is easier, hopefully taxes get easier. What else, what else sort of goes on that, on that list of like things, reasons that life gets better? 
or like does this happen from a bottom up or like a top down in the sense of yeah does the backbone of jp morgan change or does or, or does the backbone of the fed of a centralized digital currency change or do we just get some app like venmo where i can tap my iphone onto your iphone or i can tap my iphone onto the register and now we have this free exchange again and don't don't all these companies miss the float <laughs> you know but like you know our win is somebody's using all this float eric <laughs> at money 2020 vinod kosla went on stage and was like which is just such a ballsy thing to do at a fintech conference he goes up and his like closing remark on his talk was like i issue a challenge to entrepreneurs to reduce the profitability and size of the financial sector by 90%. Like finance is too profitable. We do not have a healthy balanced economy because finance is like this overgrown thing that is like extracting too much value from basically every other industry. And I was like the one person in the back like clapping and whistling and there's a bunch of other people in the finance industry like fuck 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 fuck. But I think that's so cool and I think like this is the kind of thing that's going to change that or could change that. Yeah. Are they going to give up their 3% in two weeks without kicking and screaming? No way. No, of course not. Yeah. Not willingly. But but that's like, I, I think it'll be really interesting. Like, is Domo going to have to, like, are the Domos of the future going to have to sort of directly compete with JP Morgan to unseat that? Like, the way I explain crypto to people, like my mom, is like transactions are going to get cheaper. Like transactions are going to get softwareified and they'll get cheaper. And so when they get cheaper, more of them happen. So instead of doing two transactions a day, you might do 200 transactions a day. So what are those transactions going to be and how are they going to work? And like, who's going to execute them? Maybe, maybe it will be Visa and JP Morgan. Maybe it will be entirely new core providers. Maybe regulation doesn't let us change. Maybe like I, I don't know, but it's all interesting chaos soup. It's the Black Mirror episode where y you send out a tweet and you either have more <laughs> money or less money <laughs> depending on <laughs> how good your tweet was. <laughs> and you're just <laughs> you're just typing away. But no, it so yeah, the, a ton of com it, like it happens bottom up, it happens top down, it happens with a ton of convenience and a ton of freedom and a ton of like savings and then new problems pop up of you're right. Fraud prevention is a huge thing that Amex spends part of that 3% trying to deal with. And when someone steals your Amex and goes and buys something, they pay you back and somebody eventually pays that and it has to get, all get sorted out. But like crypto fixes that and then crypto totally breaks that because you just never get your money back with crypto. You're, you're done. Yeah. Grace, how how much does do different chains behave differently from from your perspective, right? Like because some some chains are compliant with with sort of like the you know core providers and the the government and stuff like that. Is, is it is it kind of like Bitcoin's like cash because nobody can track it unless you report it, and and Ethereum is like accepting a credit card because it's automatically sort of recorded. Are you totally agnostic as to which chain wins? You just need to figure out who to play with. Like you said, your first startup was like a very big bet on a chain. So how do you, how do you think about it now coming into your second? Yeah, I think for 
us, we remain relatively agnostic to ecosystems that said, you know, individually, we may have different opinions or perspectives on, you know, which philosophies resonate with us more. I would say each of the different chains and ecosystems that we've looked at do feel very different culturally and are built very differently from, you know, kind of a code and, and development perspective. I think, you know, for all of the chains, at the very least, it's possible to track all transactions. You know, it's maybe you could argue pseudonymous, but if you put together an activity trail and, you know, you just spent a little bit of time doing that, you could arguably put together an identity or persona of who this person is and what they're trying to do. And so this is true for, for all chains. I think for us, there's a few different narratives that emerge when we look at different chains. And it also, I think, really depends on what that chain is trying to optimize for the most, right? There's kind of that that trilemma, that triangle that we see referred to a lot, where one angle is decentralization, one angle is security, and one angle is scalability. So there's always some trade-offs that it looks like chains have to make. For us, when we're thinking about building out our company and building out our product, we're really focused on, you know, interviewing people and getting to know people and identifying where they today have most of their activity and what they might be active on very soon. And so, you know, just given that, I would say the vast majority of what we've seen is, you know, there's lots and lots of people on Ethereum, transacting on Ethereum, building on Ethereum. But with the advent of all these different L2s and optimistic rollups and ZK rollups and this whole kind of like app chain narrative that's becoming stronger and stronger as well, like in the Cosmos ecosystems and even in some of the L2 stories, you know, I think there are things that will be coming out very soon, probably this year or next year, that may change the way that, again, everything works in this industry. Mm. Just when you think you get your feet. Well, no, you never think you have your feet in crypto. You just <laughs> never, you're just constantly tumbling in underwater and yeah, hoping hoping to stay in the black. That's been my experience anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do find it, I find it way more stable, I guess, in the second half of this year. Like it's so much easier to just go have a conversation with somebody with a you know, a decades long view who's identified a problem in the tooling or infrastructure of the space and who's like, nope, I'm going to spend 10 years building this tool and solving this problem. And, you know, here's my customer and here's our, here's our progress. And, you know, I'll, I'll keep you updated quarterly instead of the kind of like rise and fall of projects and, you know, people making tomato NFTs and, <laughs> you know, stuff and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I told you both this like kind of anecdote that came from my friend Eamon, of, or I had worked with all of, you know, or I'd met a lot of crypto people last year. We're all kind of like running around in crypto and it's a lot of fun. And my friend Eamon was like, you know, a lot of these people would have just been like drop shippers three years ago. And, and it is like, it's a great line. And, you know... There, there are drop shippers who are still doing great, probably. God bless them. But, you, you know, it's just like the fad changes and the the kind of like hot ball of money moves around and, and it's kind of run through crypto. And so a lot of the people who, like I said, Eric, I, I want to be working with you 25 years from now. I want to have the like Sam Hinky longest lens in the room and a lot of people with very long lenses in crypto are still there and the people who who don't see it ha have come and gone yeah 
this is like when the the real building happens i feel like when when the stripes get earned has, has it been easier to operate in this environment for you grace or harder like it, like on the recruiting or customer development side or like has anything gotten measurably harder from the end of this year from the beginning i would say given the product that we're building we've actually received quite a lot of interest a few different factors around timing. I think number one, end of year and tax season. And a lot of companies in 2022, it was their first year of operations. And so a bunch of people are like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I even get started? Who do I talk to? So, you know, those conversations I think have been pretty fruitful. I think everyone's very willing to chat about those topics right now. I think the other aspect of, you know, the market being at the state that it's at now is that people are very concerned about their burn and they are very concerned about their financial activity. And so a lot of people are now taking the time to try and look back and understand their spend behavior and understand how they might need to adjust it on a go forward basis to be able to you know continue sustaining themselves throughout you know kind of these tough times i think you know my experience in terms of like talking to teams and talking to people sounds very similar to what you and, and Mitchell were just mentioning where it's, it feels a little bit easier to get more directly to people who are excited about building in this space in the long term and are the, the real know, ones. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The real ones who are like willing to stick it out and, and ready to stick it out and also excited about this period. I mean, you know, looking at my Twitter now, way less noise. You know, I can actually like hear thoughts and not just pumps and things like that. So, you know, I think from that perspective, it's given us a little bit of breathing room to just think very deeply about, you know, where are we headed? What are we building? You know, what is the value proposition here? You know, who do we want to work with? And just approach these things with a bit more intention, which I'm very excited by. Yeah. And, and on the distribution side, like how have you, are, is all the accounting interest in particular, like I'm interested in that because I think it's a good maybe representation of maybe a more mainstream view, right? Like accountants are, most accountants, Mitchell's a, a, an exception probably, are not going to like leap at the opportunity to learn a whole new technology and thing and set of tools. Are you getting inbound interest from accountants who are like, my clients are pushing me to figure this out. I have a bunch of questions like, I'm being forced to figure this out and I'm coming to you. Or, or are they like much more proactive than I'd imagine? Like, are we seeing, are you learning anything about the the macro of adoption from that sort of seat that you have there? Yeah, it's a good question. I think for us, we're kind of thinking about Domo as the business interface that business teams can use to interact with their accountants or their accounting teams. And these accountants might be internal accountants. These accountants may be at, you know, external firms. But the idea of, you know, being able to give the business a tool that they understand and that they can use, I think there's a lot of value there because a lot of the feedback that we've heard from teams who, you know, do have accounting software like QuickBooks, or maybe even are trying out some of the crypto accounting tools, a lot of the business people aren't really going into those tools very much because they're scared of the tools or they're scared that they're going to mess something up. And it's not really a world or even it's not necessarily terminology that they're very comfortable with. And so a lot of the time they kind of just say, hey, you know, person who is a technical accountant, please help me do the thing and ask me the questions. And, you know, let's just, you know, talk via email or let's get on a call and you screen share and I'll just verbalize all the answers or we'll talk about it in Slack. Right. And so I think for us, we haven't done, I would say, a 
ton of marketing last year. We haven't been like super out there with what we're building, mostly just leveraging our own personal networks to make sure that we're working with people who really understand what it is that we're building and can give us very good feedback. So for the most part, I would say most of the people in terms of distribution have been project founders, operators who kind of want this business interface that is a great upgrade from an Excel spreadsheet and any other records that they've had in the past that they can fully contextualize. And then, you know, for example, they can invite their accountant to Domo. And rather than the accountant needing to learn an entirely new tool or an entirely new system per se, it's very easy to identify, okay, this is the transaction history. Here's all the context. Okay, great. This is all the information that I need to be able to do my job. It's kind of more from that perspective. One of the customers slash partners that we did bring on this year is actually an accounting firm. And we have a great relationship with the head of crypto accounting at this firm. And she started using Domo and was like, wow, this makes my life so much easier. I'm going to use this on all my Web3 clients. So she started using Domo earlier in 2022 on their entire group of Web3 clients and it enabled them to grow their business massively and take on a lot more clients just because we're cutting out a lot of the manual work and we're cutting out a lot of the kind of back and forth that's usually happening. Yeah, that's awesome. Love to hear that. Those are all good words. <laughs> what, what else you got, Mitchell? I feel like we're we're sort of winding down. I have wildly off-topic questions for for Grace, but if you got anything else that like fits this thread, hit us with it. Just like what is the what is the who is your person and kind of what is the next step to getting them the crypto bookkeeping of their dreams in Doma? <laughs> So when you say who is your person, as in like who is like the target, who who is the person that like if you're gonna build your product avatar or you know user avatar, who is that person? Is it's is it Grace from two years ago who's underwater of trying to operate a crypto uh, incubator, or who is this person and like how do they get in touch or what is their next step? Should they go to their accountant? Should they go to you? Like. How are we going to get this? How are we going to get people right in 2023? Yeah, totally. I think for us, the target persona really is someone who is maybe like me at the venture studio in that role. Someone who is a project founder that's like, I need to get a hold of my finances. I need to make sure that I have a good record here. And that way, when I am ready to pass things off to an accountant, it's not me spending two months at the end of the year trying to compile everything together. It's a version of me which has been great about doing this throughout the year so I can answer all of the questions that I have about my business and I can pass it off really easily to the people who need to transform this data further. So I would say that's really kind of the you know person that we'd like to speak more to this year. I think you know the other side of that is this person will inevitably be working with an accountant if they are serious about their business and they want to build a sustainable company so you know also actively reaching out to accountants to really understand both sides of that relationship if that makes sense you know we want to make sure that we're building a tool that you know definitely helps the business person but also needs to make it easy for the next person to you know take the next step of the process um it's it's interesting that the customers like come in pairs like you can you can go through either door and still end up with like that winning that business or that accountant and either one sort of leads you to other customers like there's inherent sort of virality in this like if you are the best solution for the problem it will lead you to others very naturally it's such a good thing to to do customer development through and meet people and, and just keep doing calls and like these you can just 
really grind your way to a very big company, I feel like, through through these relationships. Totally. And, you know, basically, I mean, I know the year is only we're only like one week into the year, but um, for the last, you know, period of time, I've basically said Tuesdays are my call days. And all I do on Tuesdays is I talk to businesses and I talk to accountants and I just learn about what their current situation is crypto specific, crypto non-specific. I just want to learn about what they do day to day. I want to learn about what keeps them awake at night, what worries them, what they're anxious about. And that's been very fruitful. So I'm excited to kind of continue doing that exercise. You know, I think for the product that we're building, to your point, Eric, there's some inherent network effects that are kind of just part of this product. I think there's a stickiness to it when you think about pulling in your transaction data and adding all of the context to it. And then because you are always needing to work with other people on this, you're always pulling other people into the app. Or if you're making payments, for example, you've always got a counterparty to what it is that you're trying to do. So just through the actions that people want to be able to do and need to do that you know, Domo could facilitate, for example, it's got this very, very organic way of expanding its network. Uh, hey, I just got you. Congratulations. You just got paid. Check your wallet. OX, blah, 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 blah. Coming from Domo. Yeah, really like linking the person to the wallet and, and creating an organized world. I love it. So go to domo.so, click get started. Talk to Grace next Tuesday. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Clear your yeah. Tuesdays, DM Grace, and yeah, get on her calendar. Okay, my, my, my off-topic question is, we so Grace, we met through Athena, who has sponsored this podcast and who I'm a fan of, but I have not heard before someone do what you did, which is basically like a, an EA through Athena was your first hire for your startup after your, from your co-founding team. And I'm curious, like, what you did and how that went and like, you know, what they're doing for you and just kind of like, talk about that as a very baby early stage company, what the day-to-day -day looks like amongst the team. Yeah, totally. So my EA's name is Ange and bringing her onto our team last year was, if not the best business decision, one of the best business decisions I think that we made as a team because bringing her on board gave us so much leverage. One of the biggest areas where she's contributed and is continuing to contribute and actually own is this process that we call UAT or user acceptance testing. So because we're building software and we have a certain kind of level of quality that we want to make sure that we're putting out to anyone who may be interacting with our product, we always put new features through a very rigorous testing process. And my kind of guidance is basically try as hard as you can to break the app every time. Do all of the functions, do all of these crazy combinations of things, try to break the app. And if you can't, great, let's approve it and let's you know put it into production. But always, I would say, whether it's big or small, there's always something that comes up as like a little bit off or, you know, maybe we want to take a look at this and then we'll make a judgment call for whether or not, you know, we want to push that through or continue working on it. But that process has made our software, I think, just again, able to meet the quality of standard that we want it to be at. And it's also given us so much time to be able to, you know, do all of the high leverage things that we need to do as a team as well, while having comfort that like, 
it's being taken care of. So that's probably one of the biggest areas that we have her working on and where she's provided a ton of help for us. You know, there are some other areas as well around helping us build and keep a CRM for all of the people that we've been connecting with that are really important for us to be able to reach out to and get feedback from them on our product and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I would say UAT is probably like my favorite example. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it is so, I love collecting the stories of everybody who's like got a Athena EA or VA and it, especially as like a early when it's just your founding team, there's so much to do. And a lot of it is that stuff that is like, it has to be done. It's not super hard, but it's draining or tiring or just takes a huge volume of hours and takes you away from some of that other really high value stuff that you can do. So I think it's a really sort of wise approach to like get somebody right away who can help you with the high volume tasks that just have to be done and help you organize the information, manage the outreach and sort of keep the pace of the organization high. So thank you for that. And uh, like, this is actually like my third person I've talked to today that I've just like met through Athena or is also an Athena person. So it's turning out to be an amazing sort of group of humans as well. Um, I know Mitchell has his own flavor of this ice cream, but I don't care. I don't care what it is. Eric (laughs) is mostly turned to, you know, change my life and and be about, you know, convincing me to take the next steps in my life. So I've been asking you both about Athena and (laughs) just uh, the biggest like thing that y'all have told me about this is like the difference between me just trying to go on to like Craigslist to go, Hey, Filipino VA and like try to do everything myself is like have someone who's vetted and trained and and have a support network beyond just like okay good luck here's your va you're you're best friends now i spent i did a lot of attempts at that through upwork and stuff over the years and it's just like i just kind of always failed and blamed myself and it wasn't until i just like over invested it wasn't until i went to like the highest quality version of this that i could that i was like oh this there's a real skill set here that like you could make up for with patience and money and effort. But like, I'd rather just hire Athena who nails it from the beginning and makes it so that I can't fail at this. Like it just took that kind of level of desire and finding that it didn't used to exist. But yeah, no, this podcast exists to market Baldridge financial services and the ecosystem of products around it. I don't know what you're talking about, Mitchell. That's my main focus is not improving (laughs) your life. It's introducing people to your products and services. And now Domo, that's been, you know, that's a manifesting a beautiful crypto future. That's what we're doing here. I mean, yeah, I remember like when I first heard about Gusto and told everyone or just totally flipped over and like Domo is that. Yeah, you're just like, oh, you're now a finding people who care about their product and who want to grow their product and who are in it for the long term. It's a, it's an easy choice. And then when you as an accountant, when you can get good help, it's it's great. Yeah, th- this one's going to be an interesting company to see grow, I think, because like Gusto was such an immediate problem for so many people right at the same time. And this is just, it, it's so intertwined with, you have to have already taken the crypto pill or already be working in the industry to appreciate the the value of this solution, I think. But as that grows and as this tool gets better, it's going to make that solution and that ecosystem, that light, I don't know, lifestyle of a business more attractive and make it more accessible. And like, I don't know, I'm just, I think it'll be really cool to sort of see how this grows. And Thank you, Grace, for solving such a big problem that everybody needs solved, whether they realize it or not. And it'll be very appreciative to you in 20 years when 90% of transactions are going through blockchains and you're helping all of us run quality businesses and not get audited and accountants, you know, 
just have easier lives and there's less yeah. people in jail. <laughs> I think I'm, that would be a great future. If we can manifest that, you know, when we're successful, if we can make that happen, that would be amazing. So, you know, I think... I think the other aspect of this is like, I feel like I've seen more and more people going down this path of entrepreneurship and starting micro businesses. I think what you were saying earlier as well, Mitchell, like no code. A lot of people are really experimenting with building these new companies, these new projects. And yeah, maybe they have talent that's coming from Asia. Maybe they have talent that's coming from Europe or South America or anywhere in the world. And so you know, we have a lot of these new types of organizations that are going to be built as well. And I think that's something that we're really excited to kind of keep a pulse on and to identify the needs for and build for too. So, you know, lots of things, lots of things to look forward to. Yeah. You're facilitating whole new, whole new types of organizations sort of globally. That's, that's super exciting. Cool. Well, domo.so, is there anything else that people need to know about you or how to find you or how to use domo or anything else? Yeah, our website is domo.so. We have a Twitter, which is domo.so, dot spelled out. Feel free to DM there if you have any questions or if you want to DM me on Twitter, I'm at guacamole or guacamole. So it's guacamole, but instead of an A, it's an O. <laughs> Feel free to DM me there as well. <laughs> Grace's last name is Guo. So that is that is explains. It's not a typo. She knows exactly what she's doing. It's very <laughs> clever. I, I will also say that Grace will whoop, whoop your ass at Settlers of Catan if you want to challenge her. That's a, that's the <laughs> other, the other challenge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you both so much for, for taking the time, Mitchell. Thank you for making up for my accounting inadequacy and bringing your, your DGen expertise. Grace, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, solving your problems, building your companies. I can't wait to see what the future holds. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. I had a ton of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you hanging out with us today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, similar episodes that you will also love are my two previous episodes with Mitchell Baldridge. And if you are into the crypto stuff, we've got some great crypto episodes from about six months ago with Jason Hitchcock, Sean O'Connor. It's a really an endless source of things to learn. And I love having conversations and finding people who can teach me more about it. Thank you for supporting the sponsors of this episode, Athena Go and GiveWell, athenago.com and givewell.org. Links to both are in the show notes. For a free way, free way to support the show, please leave a quick review for the show or text this episode to a friend or coworker you think would enjoy it. Appreciate you very much. I really appreciate you hanging out with us today. This is all about laughing and learning building leverage and compounding our faces off. What our brains aren't evolved to comprehend is how much leverage is possible in modern society. There's a revolution going on, man. Uh, go pay attention to it. Get a part of it. Get exposed to it. You're going to make money along the way. You're going to have fun. The call to adventure. This is the new form of leverage. Take a few quiet moments for yourself. Breathe deep and be well. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. 
Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.